invite you to turn your Bibles this morning, if you have one with, to the book of Ephesians. We'll begin there, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. This morning we're either in for a train wreck, or Satan doesn't want us to hear this message this morning. So the last 12 hours have been quite an adventure. Had some car troubles last night. Saturday night's never a good time for the pastor to have car troubles. And so uh, usually I'm trying to memorize the message on Saturday nights, refresh my mind, so I might be reading more than usual this morning. Last night, some car troubles, van won't start, etc. I won't even take a jump anymore, so I'm like, all right, 10 o'clock, call out to the local store. I'm like, hey, do you guys sell car batteries still, or do you have to be when the auto center's open? They're like, oh, come on out. Well, one of our sales associates will be happy to help you. Drive out there, don't know exactly what I'm doing. I'm going through the big book. You know, they got the big book that you pick out your battery, you all your core from. Look at my car. Perfect. M124, 600 CCM or OCC, something like that. And I'm looking around, and all I see is this 124, 700 CCM or OCC crank, something like that. So I say to the sales associate, I'm like, hey, it says right here, only 600 CC whatever. I mean, we can only have 600 cranks. So I'm like, I want my wife driving down the road, and I want too many cranks coming out or something. <laughs> and so, and so I, I say, I want too many cranks, and the sales associate looks at me and says, sometimes I wish that would happen to my wife, actually. I'm like, I don't got time to deal with that right now. So I'm like, will this work? Yes, take the battery up. One line is open, and there's multiple people in front of me. Taking forever. We're just up there. Finally, it's almost my turn. Right in front of me, one person, a couple of people with them, and a young child with them. I don't see that many items. All I see is some formula on the, on the thing, some other things they're going through. Next thing you know, I'm like, what in the world is going on? Well, you know how sometimes, probably happened to all of us, cards are getting declined one after the other here. And so this guy's kind of talking with his buddies, and this is cool. They're like, they're taking an offering right in the line. They're like, hey, how are we going to cover this thing? And it's like, I'm getting to this point really impatient. So I say to the lady, I'm like, hey, put it on my tab. Don't worry about it. It's like 12 bucks. It was like $12 was left or something of what they owed. They had to come up with 12 bucks. I'm like, put it on my tab. I don't care. Leave. Go. Thing. Thing. And so I get up there, and the guy turns to me. He's like, dude, dude. You own half the bottle now. You should come to the party. I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, I, I saw the baby powder. I didn't see the apple brandy going into the bag. So I was like, yeah, hey, have a good time. I don't, I don't care. Rush home. I'm about trying to put the battery now into the car, in the, part, in the driveway. I got this cleaned out garage, but I forgot to park the car in the garage where I would have had lighting. So now I'm working out in the driveway. As I'm working in the driveway, you know, you're trying to take the battery out. I run downstairs for the socket set, and I'm like, uh, look like about a 716. Take the 716 up. Take the 716 up, start cranking. You know, it's kind of like a little bit awkward size. I'm like, ah, oh, this isn't 716. This is like 13 millimeter or something like that. But I'm, but I'm thinking, you know what? I don't got time. I'm going to make 716 work. <laughs> so I start cranking. I get the nut. I get it off, all the way off. But now the nut is stuck in the socket. So I go downstairs, and I cannot get this thing out. I'm like, what is going on? So I take the socket. I take it over. My kid's got this little train set on the small little table. I take a clamp, and I clamp the socket onto the little train set over the end of the table. I'm like, just pounding with this little flathead screwdriver, trying to get this thing out. Next thing I know, the nut comes out. But where would you guess that the nut lands? in the cat litter box. <laughs> I'm not kidding. 
Henry's up with me at this point. I'm kind of like, Henry, how about you look in the litter box for the night? <laughs> Finally get all that done, get back out there. I think I saw my wife here this morning. The van is working. I don't know what was going on. So that might continue, that train wreck might continue this morning. Or I wasn't supposed to be here today. Ephesians chapter 1, let's get down to work. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning with the third verse. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let us pray. God, we ask this morning that you would now take your word through the power of the Holy Spirit and that you would teach us, that you'd make known to us your purposes, that you'd make known to us the vision you have for our lives. So we offer ourselves, we submit ourselves to you and the working of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Very simply put, God wants to be praised. God wants to be praised. We could look throughout the Bible in multiple different places. We could look at a different psalm that says, Praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let every living thing, every creature, even the sun and the moon and the stars, praise the Lord. God wants to be praised. In Ephesians chapter 1, this verses 3 through 14 here, it comes up three different times. Last Sunday, we looked at this exact same passage, and we basically said, This shows us our for what? The why, between, because of what, why God is doing anything and everything. And so last week, I hope you underlined in your Bibles three different times in Ephesians chapter 1, to the praise, in verse 6, to the praise, verse 12, to the praise, verse 14, to the praise. Simply put, God wants to be praised. Last week, we focused on praising God when we gather together on Sunday morning, that, that outpouring of declaring the greatness of God. But God doesn't want to just be praised on Sunday morning. God wants to be honored all of the time. And we don't spend the majority of our lives here. We only spend 60 minutes, maybe 90 minutes, here once a week singing and listening. Well, God doesn't want to just be praised 60 or 90 minutes a week. He wants to be praised all week long. Hold on a second. Siri has some advice for us this morning. Here's what Siri found for us today. It's, I asked Siri the other day, when does God want to be praised? And Siri simply responded by saying, I'm confused. <laughs> I think the true can be said of us 
sometimes. That you and I get confused when God wants to be praised. Because we think that we come on Sunday mornings to praise God, but then we have the remainder of our lives that prepares us for Sunday morning or allows us to participate in Sunday morning. That's simply not true. God desires for all of creation all the time to bring bring him praise. Well, this morning we're going to spend our time reflecting on one specific area of our lives where we spend a lot of time, and that's work. A lot of us spend, almost all of us in some fashion or other, spend a lot of our lives working. Most people throughout their lifetime will spend at least 90,000 hours working or 35% of their life working. That's a lot of time that we spend working. So this morning I want to ask ourselves the question, how is it then that we praise God at work or through work? Well, the first thing we have to think about when we're talking about work is the concept, that idea of work. And ideas have consequences. If I have an idea or if you have an idea in your mind, that idea or that thought has consequences. And Tim Keller, pastor from New York, illustrates this in a variety of different ways and uses this type of illustration to show us the concept that ideas have consequences. And so we have to get our idea of work correctly. Imagine for a moment if you were standing at a bus stop. You're standing at a bus stop and somebody comes up to you and says, Mish, mish. Mish, mish. And you're thinking, Mish, mish? What? Well, the idea you have in your mind of why they're saying mishmish is going to what? Affect how you respond. So there's three options. There might have three different ideas in your mind. Idea number one, you might think, this person's mentally ill. This person has some mental challenges. Reasonable. Second option, you might be thinking to yourself, hmm, mistaken identity. This person must have thought they they know who I am or they must have thought they had seen me before. Or the third option, you might think, this is a foreign spy giving away a specific code word to take over this bus so I have no option but to respond and take this foreign spy out right now. That's a legitimate idea you might have in your mind. And depending which idea you have in your mind is going to what? determine how you respond. If you think the person's mentally ill, you're going to respond with patience, right? Oh, sorry, I I don't understand you. If you think the person has what? Mistaking you for someone else, you're probably going to respond by, I'm sorry, I'm not remembering you. Are you remembering me correctly? And if you think the person is a foreign spy, you're probably going to give them one of these. (laughs) Just like that. So the idea you have influences how you respond. Ideas have power. Well, what's the idea that you have of work? When you think of work, what idea do you have of work? Too many Christians for too long have thought of work as that which they do to make money than to fund mission work around the world. Or that which I do for 40 years so that I can stop working and now begin to volunteer and do real ministry. There's serious problems with that thought pattern. The first problem is this. It comes across as the only ministry that happens is that which is in church or on the mission field where God's work is being done. Second problem with that line of thinking is that it completely neglects the truth that God is the owner of everything, and it completely neglects 
the perfect nature of creation that God created. So the idea of work that the Bible presents is that work is a gift from God. Therefore, therefore, your work has dignity. Work is a gift from God. It says in Genesis chapter 2, the Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. This is critical. This is one sentence in the creation story, but this is before sin entered the world. Before sin entered the world, what was there? Work. Because work is a good gift from God. And then, what will there be when there is no longer sin in the world? In the new kingdom, the book of Revelation makes it clear again, there will be what? Work. Why? Because work is a gift from God. we got to get our idea correct about work, because this affects what? How I approach work work. Have you ever thought about that which you are doing each day is a gift from God? Work is not the result of sin. The clearest place to see this is through the life of Jesus Christ. We don't talk about this enough, but Jesus is the perfect resemblance. It tells us in Hebrews chapter 1 that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Other places in the New Testament, it describes that Jesus Christ fully reveals God's perfect design for humanity. What did Jesus come as? A carpenter. Someone who worked. Jesus did not come as some aristocrat, just kind of off on the side, like, hmm, I don't need to work. I'm above work. No, because work is a good gift. Jesus himself works, and Jesus is the template and the model of perfect creation. Your work is a gift from God no matter what your work is, if it's for the common good. Your work, no matter what it is, is a gift from God. Therefore, your work has dignity. It doesn't matter if you're a carpenter, teacher, banker, postal delivery worker, waitress. Every job has dignity. Think about this for a moment. Martin Luther spends a lot of time unpacking this truth. Because when Martin Luther was alive, they had kind of created these separate classes between the priests and the common people. And the common people thought they had to do all this different stuff to be really spiritual. So Martin Luther spent a lot of time helping people unpack the the beauty of what God's creation was. What do you do before a meal? You pray. Most people pray before a meal. And what do you do during that prayer is most people say what? Something like, God, thank you for this food. So... When you say, God, thank you for this food, you're acknowledging what? The food I have is from God. But what didn't happen? That food didn't just magically appear. I've never just sat down and been like, food. I mean, besides my wife and my children serving me. But most of the time, right? It doesn't just all of a sudden, boom, on the plate. What happened? Somebody grew that food. Somebody transported that food. Someone sold that food. Someone brought that food to you. All of those people in that whole chain, what are they? They're deliverers of God's good. Your food. God is what? He who provides security. Talks about this in the Old Testament in different places, that you will not be secure unless God is there. 
So we're thankful for security in our lives, right? We're thankful for being safe. Last night, slept in our house. I didn't think anything of it last night while sleeping. I was like, man, is someone going to break in? Am I going to be harmed? Or whatever. Why? Because I know we have a good police force. Not ma- God's just not magically keep them all secure. How, God's keep- how is God keeping us secure? Through military, a police force, government, employees running the phones, answering and sending out those people to different needs around the community. What are they? All of God's agents. Workers delivering what? Security that's from God. God is the provider of shelter. We do not have shelter with, without God. Well, again, same concept applies, right? I didn't just show up and like, ah, house, boom. No, what happened? Someone delivered the products. Someone put the products together. Someone painted. Someone shingled. Someone did the plumbing. Someone did the electrical. What are those people? Deliverers of God's goods. Everything that all of us are involved in is what? Part of God providing for the good of the country. If you sell something, what are you doing? You're providing an opportunity for people to receive something they need, to participate in the economy which God owns. You are a deliverer of God's goods. Maybe another way of thinking of it, directly quoting from Luther now, he says, vocations, jobs, callings, are masks of God. On the surface, we see an ordinary human face. Our mother, the doctor, the teacher, the waitress, our pastor. But beneath the appearances, God is ministering to us through them. God is hidden in human vocations. Your work is simply a mask for God, for God to care for his creation. God did not create us to live here sin, get forgiven, and zip us off to heaven. God created creation for us to enjoy. Therefore, there's all these different elements that we need to enjoy God's creation. Work is a gift from God to do God's work. Therefore, your work has dignity. Do you know the why behind your work? Whether you're at a hospital, a school, a store, a restaurant, Do you know the why behind your work? Do the people that you're supervising know their why? This is a good opportunity for you to speak God's truth without opening the Bible to them. You don't even have to use Bible or religious language. You can speak God's truth to them, helping them understand the why of what you do. Because God is the provider and owner of everything. There is dignity in work. Work is not a means to an end. Work in and of itself has dignity because it's a gift from God. That's the idea we need to have in our mind about work. And we have that idea about work, then we can go to the method of work. How do I work now to bring God praise? Two things we have to keep in mind that the Scriptures teach us about the how. The first is this. Work as though you are working for the Lord. This is where Christianity... The ethics of Christianity are completely different than the ethics, the philosophy, and the process of the world. My behavior, my activity is not dependent upon those around me. Look with me, if you would, in Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, a couple of verses here, 23 and 24, it says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive your inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. 
Simply put, what? Work as though you're working for God. It's not dependent upon your boss. A bad boss does not justify a bad performance or bad effort. Everybody in this room, probably at some point in their life, has had a bad supervisor, right? And if I'm supervising you, don't raise your hand right now. Everybody at some point has had a bad supervisor, and it's tough, right? It's hard to work for a bad supervisor. You yourself get discouraged. You feel like you're kind of twiddling your thumbs at different times. Guess what? As followers of Jesus Christ, we have a higher authority. That there's been a supervisor instituted that we answer to in that moment, but guess what? That supervisor does not dictate our performance or our effort. And so this morning, if you're working in sales and your boss is a jerk, the only thing your boss is interested in is you selling well, so what? He gets his bonus or her bonus. So you're like, I don't want to sell anymore because then they just make more money. Guess what? God would have you work your tail off so that the supervisor who's a jerk just keeps making so much money. Because you don't answer to them. You answer to the Lord Jesus Christ. So everything we do, we have to work as though we're working for the Lord. Everything with excellence. I learned this lesson when I was in high school working at a local golf course on the weekends and I was in charge of cutting cups and the worst job though was trimming branches on the bottom of the big evergreen trees. You had to crawl underneath the tree and cut it just flush with it so it was a healthy tree over the long haul. That was the worst job all summer. So we trimmed them up enough so that this ever happened to me, but if your golf ball went under there, you could still, you could still see it. And so anyhow, we were charging that other guy that I was working with. We were just doing that on a normal day. And one of the holes that we were on is basically over on the right side, there's a big hill. Down that hill is just a bunch of different evergreens. I mean, I was always in the center of the fairway, so I didn't really care what happened to the balls down there. But anyhow, we were sent out saying, hey, let's get, get it done. So we had worked through the holes methodically throughout the summer. My buddy says to me, he's like, <laughs> he's like I'm not going to trim those. He's like, nobody's ever down there. It doesn't matter. No one ever sees it. And I was like, I was trimming the stuff on the other sides. I'm like, do whatever, do whatever you want. So we're doing that. We get in for break. The boss comes in from break. Says, how are things going? You know, just small talk and small talk, having a donut. Looks at the guy across from me. He says, hey, when you're done with your donut, you can go pick up your check. You're done. Oh, what? If, that's it. He got up and left, and I'm like, what in the world? I'm thinking something must have happened. He guy leaves, and I was talking to the boss at the end of the, end of the day, and the boss says to me, he goes, do you know why he was, he was fired? I'm like, I, I don't know. He says, because it doesn't matter how you trim the trees around the 18th hole. It matters how you trim the trees that no one sees, because that's going to tell me the type of worker that you are. What do you do when no one's looking? As Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ. Even the smallest of stuff should be done with excellence. Why? Because we're working as we're working for the Lord, not for someone else. Number one, if we're going to honor God in our work, we have to work as though we are working unto the Lord. The second thing we have to do is we have to do our work according to the purposes of God. 
And so look in Proverbs chapter 11, it says this, A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. So one of God's purposes, kind of breaking this down simply, a very simple translation would be this. God does not like dishonest scales. God does not like you adjusting the weights to show something's heavier or lighter than what it actually is. But God wants an honest scale. Because you cannot use dishonesty to what? Find riches. Because riches do not profit at the end. Righteousness profits at the end. So a purpose of God is what? Honesty. I think we would agree this morning. Can I get an a- Say amen if you agree that God wants honesty. Okay, God wants honesty. When he reveals his, his laws or his decrees or his purposes, do you think God was like, okay, I'm going to give you these decrees. I only want honesty on Sunday mornings from 10 to 11.30 a.m. God reveals his decrees and his purposes for what? All of life. And so as you're going throughout your work, all of us have the opportunity. Am I going to be honest or am I going to be dishonest? And so now let's go back to the bad boss. You might have a bad boss who's just a bad boss. But you might have a bad boss who also says to you, hey, we're going to adjust that number a little bit. Tell the customer that they're getting an oil change, but guess what? We don't really have time to change their oil today. When it comes to that, what do you have to do as a follower of Jesus Christ? I'm unwilling to do that. Because now you've been asked to break a principle of God. Sometimes there's going to have consequences to this. Big consequences to this. But what does God's word say? Riches profit nothing, but righteousness will deliver. So all of our work has to be according to the purposes of God. God doesn't tell you exactly how to sell a car. There's no directions in the book here on how to sell a car. There's no directions in here on how to be a waitress. But there's some truths in here that God wants lived out all of the time, whether you're a waiter, a bank teller, or a teacher. Jesus maybe says it a little different way. In Matthew chapter 5, he says to his followers, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus is preparing his followers to hear the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is what? A bunch of instruction. A bunch of time where Jesus is saying, hey, these are the purposes of God. And so he's saying, I want you to live out these purposes so that you shine, so that you're a city on a hill. Jesus was not saying, I want you to be a city on a hill only on Sunday mornings. Jesus is saying what? I want you to constantly be a city on a hill, the light of the world. When we work, we have to do our work according to the purposes of God. Very simply put, clothe yourself in the character of Christ even while at work. If we're going to honor God in our work, we have to work as though we're working unto the Lord, and we have to do our work according to the purposes of God. Work has dignity because it's a gift from God. And how we honor God through our work is we work as we're working for the Lord, and we work 
according to the purposes of God. Finally, when it comes to work, we have to get straight in our minds the identity that we have at work. The identity that we have at work. The Bible would say to us, you are a child of God, not a product of your work. This is a challenge for a lot of us. If we looked at each other and kind of determined what's determining our mood, what's determining our value, many people, that which is determining their mood and their value is their production at work. That's a sign that their identity is coming from work. But rather, what happens? We go to work as a child of God. We don't let work define us. We go back to where we started today in Ephesians chapter 1. Go in your Bibles back to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1, we've been focusing again on the why for the praise of God. But Ephesians 1 also reveals this grand purpose of of what God was doing that would bring God praise. Look with me at verse 5. Verse 5, it says, He, God, predestined, simply said, chose, uh, made a decision in advance for us, adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. This was God's plan. God's plan was for you and I to become his children through Jesus Christ so that he would be praised. Your identity is this. You are a son or a daughter of the creator of this universe. Your value, your worth comes from your relationship to your creator, not your production at work. There's great danger. There's great danger if you do not get your identity correct. You'll become harmful to yourself and harmful to others. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the pastors I quote often and and a, a preacher was actually a doctor before he was, was, a, was a pastor. And as he was reflecting upon that, his time with his physician friends, he said the following, Many are born a man and die a doctor. Many are born a man and die a doctor. Martin Lloyd-Jones goes on to explain that all the people that he got to spend time with Everything was what? About being a doctor. And when they died, what was it? They were a doctor. But guess what? Being a doctor is a good thing, but it is not a God thing. Being a doctor is beneficial to others, but it does not benefit your eternal well-being. And we got to get it correct. That work is a good thing. It's not a God thing. You go to work as a child of God. You are not a product of your work. So in Ephesians chapter 1, it reminds us that we are adopted into the family of God. It's not just, again, one day a week. It's what? I am a child of God. I'm a child of God on Sunday morning. I'm a child of God on Sunday night. I'm a child of God on Wednesday afternoon. Wherever I go, I am a child of God. It's time that we live out our identity in our workplaces. And so this morning, I want to ask you a question. Are you a healthy worker? Are you a healthy worker? Let me unpack that a little bit for you. Are you taking your value and your identity and your worth from your work? 
Or are you simply living out your calling as a child of God in your work? So how do you gauge this? I think the best way to determine if you're a healthy worker is this, is if you can rest from your work. Can you rest from your work? If you can't rest from your work, that's a clear sign that what? Your work owns you. And work was never created to be your owner. God is your owner. Can you rest from your work? Life lesson I learned from my grandfather. My grandfather worked hard on the farm. I don't ever remember a Saturday, a Monday, would just come up and just doing nothing. Six days a week, working hard. Not saying anything bad about the weekend or whatever, but he was just on this. We farmed. I was in high school, college. We farmed until 12 midnight on Saturday nights. And you went past midnight? It was not good. It was not good. And what time did you start after that? I remember multiple times. When did we start? 12 a.m. Monday morning. Multiple times. Now, there's a little bit of unhealthiness to all of that. You're not doing it legalistically that day of Sabbath. But it actually wasn't the 24-hour period that was impressed upon me the most. It was the ability on Sunday afternoon to go and visit nursing homes and come back home and play skippo. Because you'd, you'd think of that schedule and you'd think, normally, what are you doing? You're taking the 24 hours, then what are you going to do all Sunday afternoon? Sleep. Because we got to start work again at midnight. I don't remember any naps on Sunday afternoon. Grandpa was simply present with people in the nursing home. Our grandpa was simply present with us around the table playing skippo. Rest. He was able to rest from work. And what happened? I don't remember one single time in all of my life going hungry. I don't remember one single time my grandpa ever going, we're not going to have a place to live or any food to eat. Now that didn't happen because he obeyed the law of God. But it was a testimony that if you put your faith and your trust in God's provision, God will provide. Even when humanity is saying you have to work seven days a week to provide, God says, no, you have to rest from your work because God is the ultimate provider. So today, can you rest from your work and be present with people? Can you rest from your work and be present with people? God designed us to praise him. Sunday morning, Wednesday afternoon, God wants praise all of the time. And so today, it would be good for each of us to go forth and pursue work as an opportunity to deliver God's goods to the world. God designed it so that his children would work. You are a child of God through Jesus Christ. Now go and do good work. Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks today that you have adopted us through your Son, Jesus Christ. God, we come before you and we confess and acknowledge that oftentimes we work as though it's dependent upon us. But God, I pray that you'd remind us today that work is a gift and our identity flows from you first. And so I pray for the week ahead, for each person here, wherever they're working, whether it's at a bank or a school or a store, Wherever it might be this next week, God, I pray that you'd instill within us an energy to work for you alone. I pray that you'd instill within us integrity that we could work according to your purposes. 
And so we pray now this next week you'd be honored through our work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.